the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state, and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You, too, can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes our roundtable regulars. On the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. Good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican, Henry Hatter. Good morning, Henry. Good morning, Tom. And last but not least, joining us this week in the uh, third chair for Armchair Politics, East Village Magazine Consulting Editor Jan Worth Nelson. Good morning, Jan. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Good morning Jan. Good morning. I hope you're all enjoying the snow. Yes, yeah, I am. I really am. I love the snow. Beautiful. You know, I, I, I think about that every time we get any kind of snow at all. When I'm walking down the hall to my office, I think of all those <laughs> those snow days of being stuck in the snow and driving across town and being afraid that I wasn't going to make it in time and all that all that kind of stuff. And I, I think about those times when I'm walking down my warm, toasty hallway to the <laughs> studio. A lot to be said for that. That's true. Yeah, there and is. And you have earned it. Well, I certainly enjoy it, although I do miss meeting face-to-face. That is uh, something that I'm anxious to see come back in the near future. Um, I have to go back to hell for that, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it just it just shows what you're willing to do to meet in person. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> go to hell for it, yeah. Yeah. Although I hear hell is frozen over today. <laughs> well, it might it might very well be. Um, this is a little bit weird. We're going to do things a little bit backwards here because um, before we get to the uh, um, quotes, um, I have a story that really kind of belongs in the X-Files. I don't know if anybody saw this, but Milltown Mel a groundhog who has for years offered oh. his weather predictions on Groundhog Day 
has died. His handlers say. I saw that story. Yes. They, they sell. Uh, they say uh, Mel recently crossed over the Rainbow Bridge, and their scramble for a replacement rodent before today was fruitless. Mel rose to celebrity status in Milltown, New Jersey, giving residents of the Garden State an idea of when to plant their springtime seeds. But he died at a tough time of year when most of his fellow groundhogs are hibernating, according to his handlers, who are known as the Milltown Wranglers. If it seems like you've heard this story before of a uh, New Jersey groundhog dying before, that's not just a Groundhog Day effect. In 2016, Sussex County's prognosticator, Stonewall Jackson, died on Groundhog Eve, according to NewJersey.com. <laughs> what does it mean for winter when the groundhog dies before making their prediction? Yeah, does that mean six more weeks yeah. or six more months of winter? I'm not sure what <laughs> We are doomed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it could be six more millennia. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I thought that seemed appropriate to start to show off on this uh, Groundhog Day edition mm. of the show. Um, and, you know, Frank, maybe we should pull a little uh, stunt from the Groundhog Day movie and uh, start the show again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, I'm not going to do that. Um, but uh, we usually start out with some quotes, and, and I have a few. Here's, um, uh, we always start with the finish the quote, where I ask you, how would you finish this quote? And it goes like this. Mothers all want their sons to grow up to be president, but they don't want them to what? How would you? Be cowboys. Uh, be politicians. <laughs> <laughs> well, you nailed it, Paul. That, that That's about as close as you could get to the original quote, which is mothers all want their sons to grow up to be president, but they don't want them to become politicians in the process. <laughs> oh, that's a good quote. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know who said it? Um, Eleanor uh, Roosevelt. No, but that's a fun guest. Um, JFK. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, he had some good quotes anyway. He had a good he did. mind. He was a good man. You know, that that, that topic is one, I, one of these days I want to tackle for East Village because I, I'm struck by the fact, you know, we go to, 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 to Frank and we to Bronner's a lot. They've got ornaments for every occupation in the world, it seems. Uh, except politicians, you can. You cannot <laughs> that would be a great <laughs> And that's got, that's going to be the lead. Whenever I do that article on, on the, uh, you know the uh, in praise of politicians, because we really need them, but it really is a very dishonored occupation. I think we had a conversation with Woodrow Stanley a while back on that very topic some years ago. But uh, uh -huh. yeah, yeah, there is no ornament in Bronner's for politicians. Everybody else gets one, but not politicians. Y you know. Uh, I that's and and I think one of these days, Paul, you and I have done some fun shows like this where it, I remember doing one with uh, Ed Bradley, who oh, uh, yeah. um, I, I believe just passed away. He did? I'm, oh, I'm I not know that. I'm not 100% sure. I, I saw someone I, paying tribute to him on Facebook, and I got the impression that it was because he that. had passed away. But, um, but you know, I... <laughs> I, I don't want to exaggerate the rumor. Yeah, um, yeah I. Hmm. But um, but but we did a, um, a a show dedicated to movies 
about politicians and politics and campaigns. Right. And and that was a lot of fun. I think it'd be fun to um, to do a show sometime, Paul, about some of the catchphrases. You know, we always make fun of that. Uh, anytime a politician retires, it's because they've all of a sudden discovered they have a family and want to spend more time with them. That's right, yeah. Um, but I, I, I was thinking about this in the wake of this quote, um, how often I've talked to people that have been elected to office in a political campaign who swear up and down they're not politicians. Exactly, exactly, yeah. Yeah. And I bet there are a bunch of those we could we could come up yeah. with. And you know the old the, the old quotes. Uh, I mean, there's so many ones that insult politicians. How can you tell a politician's <laughs> lying when his lips are moving? That kind of thing. <laughs> well, uh, everybody who has an opinion on anything is a politician. Good point. Yeah, exactly. Other and, people's thoughts, and, not, and he and he denies himself being one. To escape the criticism, because politicians. Oh, we lost. Uh, there, Henry. Hello. I think we lost Henry's audio. Um, while we're waiting, I would be curious to hear more from you, Paul, about speaking as a political science professor about why we need politicians, and you know that that you don't hear people talking about that, but. Uh, could you say more about that? Yeah, yeah. My thought, I mean, the, the fact is, in a democratic society, you need to get people to work together. And sometimes that means making uh, unseemly compromises, and politicians do that. Um, and uh, it is part of the messiness of democracy, I think, in many ways. As I say, I, I think Woodrow Stanley and I had a brief conversation on the air when we talked about, you know, being a politician is a legitimate career, but nobody admits to being one. They're all statesmen or... In fact, I recall one local elected official here who's passed away recently. Whenever I call him a politician, he says, oh, no, no, I'm a, I'm a statesman or I'm a community leader. He wouldn't use the word politician. Uh, but it is a way, I mean, it, as I say, it is, it's, a, it's a way of bringing together people in, with very different views and sometimes not the prettiest way, but it's part of but the democratic society. It yeah. also has its own means of destruction. Because you cannot endure this in all circumstances. We, we, we uh, threaten the whole system. The whole thing will fall down if we don't come back to some semblance of sanity, like are we you, are right now. Do you have some specific examples in mind, dear friend? Well, <clears throat> we, just, we have to learn to work together. Everything cannot be our way. We live in a human society. And we all have different views and all different desires and what. We've got to let the other side live as well as we hope that we can live through the same circumstances. Uh, and I don't see that in our country right now. And I, I think that many people are really concerned about that. Those who want to see uh, society continue and those who want to see the United States continue under constitutional government. Right, but they but but they just don't have the voice to say that, and their politicians are not saying, and the people back home won't let the politicians say it because they can't compromise. They have to be afraid of the people back home. And I, you know, I had a fascinating conversation with a uh, distinguished fellow from the Ayn Rand Institute on Monday's show. 
Oh, really? Well, that <laughs> must have been interesting. He's former chairman of the board, as a matter of fact, of the Ayn Rand Institute. He's just written a book called The Tyranny of Need. And it's um, and, and it was is it was interesting um, because I I pressed him about the need for government <laughs> in 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 the wake of uh, Ayn Rand's uh, thoughts and writings and so on and and it was interesting to hear his comments. It was Monday's show during the eleven o'clock hour. Peter Schwartz is uh, the man's name. And let me just double check that. We could not live without government, sir. That is impossible. I'm sorry, it was the 9 o'clock hour. It was the first hour of the show on Monday. Uh, Peter Schwartz uh, from the Ayn Rand Institute. And that was basically what he said, Henry, um, that uh, even the, the followers of Ayn Rand acknowledge that there's a need for government what they should be empowered to do is probably very different than what the rest of us would argue about. Um, anyway, uh, let's see. Um, let's see if I want to do these. Uh, we've got about two and a half minutes left. Um, I Rather than start with the quotes, we can wait till after the break for that. But... Uh, Jan was uh, wrote to me before the show and and said that she was interested and I don't know if I have it in my notes uh, for today's show about the um, oh let's take a look oh I I do have it coming up a little bit later um, Jan wanted to talk about the um, uh, Michigan Republicans who. Uh, falsely declared they mm -hmm. were. Um, oh yeah, right, right. And, One and of them is in the Genesee County Republican Party. Yeah. Really? I wanted to be sure you weren't one of them, Henry. <laughs> Never. <laughs> but thank Never. you, Henry. We appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you were an elector, and um, legitimately yeah. in 2016. But, uh, anyway, two two of those people, Jan, have been subpoenaed by the uh, committee yeah. investigating the January sixth riot. Right, I know. And, and there were seven, six or seven states with, with that did similar kind of things, where the the Republicans put up a, a secondary set of electors, a fake set of electors, uh, in, in about a half a dozen states. <clears throat> uh, I don't see how they could come to the conclusion that they could do that. That's an involved process where everybody is watching. And then they yeah. file it with the National Archives, which is where I think, the, you know, <laughs> if, if, there's, if there's good criminal charges, that may be where the criminal charges come from, I think. Uh, Henry, you were, you were not approached to do that, were you? Or were you? Yeah. Were you approached well, to do that? No, not to do that, but I, I, I did. I, and I never, as I said last week, I never got any threats from anybody. If I got threats, I, I don't believe... But I'm subject. You to mean when you, the times that you served as an elector? Pardon? Two. Right. In 2016. And you mean you didn't get any any threats no, during never that got time? Any. Well, we're going to take a short break. We're going to come back and talk about a couple of quotes uh, that uh, caught my attention uh, during the week and lots more armchair politics with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Jan Worth Nelson. Everybody's doing.
it on brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom Attorney General stuff? Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So, listen... We just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dina, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. 
Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. And welcome back, everybody. I'm Chair Politics Continues on today's edition of the uh, Tom Sumner Program. And uh, Tom, can I can I add one other comment to the last yeah, one? Yeah, go ahead, Henry. You know, it, it, just because I didn't get um, get threatened by anybody, I wasn't looking for that either. And it doesn't mean that I'm any more smarter or better or more honest because I have the same uh, flaws that everybody else does. But I do have a sense of value judgment for myself, my expectations, my family, and so on and so forth. Those things are kind of crucial to me. And I probably am as guilty as anybody in making mistakes. Thank you. That's all I wanted to say. I'm not a good God. <laughs> Henry, I would add to that that knowing you through this and in many other ways as well gives me great hope for the nation that there are a great many sensible Republicans out there who really can can can, can work their way through a problem in, in a very honest kind of way. It's 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 very refreshing. Uh, I, I I think I said that to you before, but uh, it, it, it it's good to know that there are people like you, Henry, and on the on the other side, on the Republican Party, who can can be can f- focus on things in a very honest kind of way. And I yeah, can assure you that there are some out there. Is there any chance that your statesmanship and your um, integrity? are a spreading characteristic within the Republican Party? Um, there, there, um, there's a, a great deal of respect for me in the Republican Party. And, uh, and I appreciate that. I can tell that. Well, and here too, Henry. Oh, thank you. Um, let's, a couple of quotes that, that caught my attention this last week. Um, let's start with this one. We have detailed content policies in place, and we've removed over 20,000 podcast episodes related to COVID-19 since the start of the pandemic. Is that Spotify stuff? It was. That that was Spotify, they said in a statement to the Washington Post. We regret Neil's decision to remove his music from Spotify, but hope to welcome him back soon. Earlier this month, a group of scientists and health professionals asked Spotify to label a Joe Rogan podcast as misinformation about COVID-19 vaccines. This week, or this last week, uh, Neil Young, in a now-deleted post on his website, told the streaming service he could either stream his music or Rogan's podcast. Spotify chose Rogan and, at Young's request, took down his music. Um, does this fight or fuel the growing divide in this country about COVID-19 policies and, well, everything? <laughs> <laughs> everything. Probably you everything, know, I, yeah, I'm afraid so. Yeah. <laughs> I think oh, COVID-19 I mean, it, has reached a point of saturation. The governors, 17 governors, went to see the president. Is the president, let us drop this and get on with business and take our chances. Uh, you might have seen that. It was on the Internet yesterday. Say that again. What, what are you saying, Henry? I, I said there are 17 governors that met with the president of the United States, and he says, let us drop the issue of COVID as a, a national priority. Let us drop it? Hmm, I'm, yes. I'm not sure how you can do that under the conditions. But he says, let's get on with uh, 
uh, whatever comes, let it be. It, it's on the internet. What, what is, I think maybe, um, and I'm just speculating here, but I suspect that what the governors were trying to uh, impress upon the president is that maybe it's time for government to step aside and, and not do mandates and requirements, just recommend best practices and and step aside and let people do it or not do it, but that it's, you know, the government has done its bit during the emergency and and that maybe it's time to move on to other things. I now I'm I don't just see how I'm just guessing, Jan. I don't know that that's what they said, but I'm trying to imagine. But it's close because government, uh, the greatest division in the country, is in states. It's in among people, not among institutions, but it's among people, and and it's, it's state governments that governs this process. And they can't hang on both sides of the issue. It just tears the states up, tears people up, tears I, institutions. I, I, I feel like we don't understand the nature of, the, of a virus. I mean, this and it's is always not changing. A, it's not a thing that individuals can solve. No. Uh, it's a thing that, has to, that calls for collective response and... You know, maybe the government, the federal government has stumbled. Uh, it's partly because people, the science keeps changing, and and the <laughs> government has had a hard time keeping up with those changes. But to just abandon any... Uh, You're right. Government, uh, yeah. science can't find its, its position. And Dan is right. I mean, I mean, the fact is, this: we like simple answers. You know, here's what you do to cure the virus. But the virus keeps changing, and we need every, yeah. every every few months we have different problems and different answers. And it, the public gets confused, but that's just the nature of the of the virus and of the science. Well, I don't yeah, think I it mean, should be that hard to figure out. The world will be fine as soon as everybody agrees with me. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm being facetious, of course, Jan. And I didn't mean to cut you off. What were you going to yeah, say? Yeah, Jan. I, I agree that we still have to go after uh, we're intelligent human beings and we usually think ourselves through yeah, I mean, situations what, like this over time. I'm not saying that the Biden administration has not made mistakes. They certainly have. But I, I feel like just throwing up our hands and saying, just leave me alone, uh, let's not, you know, stay out of my business is um, is, is is really a failure of... It's a failure of yeah. the community to understand what a community is. You know, I, I mean, uh, it doesn't follow state boundaries. It doesn't follow city boundaries. It, um, so the whole, that whole tension that the, the four of us often talk about when I'm on the show with you guys is like the difference between individual assertions of freedom and collective responsibility. It seems like something that all of us are talking about in our many wonderful conversations. We, we still are not good at figuring out how to engage in collective action. That's, that's in the, I, I feel like every time I'm on this show, I'm ranting and raving about some common good thing, and here we are again. You know? like, how do we right. learn how You're to right. do this? And, and that's what we should, we should have these discussions, because out of that comes 
the right positions. We have to have these discussions. And this yeah, was brought up to. by governors, uh, and, and I passed it on to you. You know, well, we started out by talking about Spotify or mentioning uh, the Spotify thing, and I'm uncomfortable with Neil Young's position in some ways because I don't think it does any good. I mean, the people who love Joe Rogan have never been Neil Young fans, <laughs> you know. I mean, Probably it's true, a, yeah. It's a different, it's a totally different demographic, and... And the same with Joni Mitchell. You know, she pulled out because Neil Young's her friend and probably her former lover and all that. <laughs> did you see and, the... Did you see the uh, and as, as somebody said, if you take your medical advice from Joe Rogan, <laughs> maybe you deserve what you get, too. I mean, it's, it's, it's did, not exactly the, the best medical source in the world. Did you see the Facebook meme that, that says people under 30 are, are asking um, <laughs> who's Neil Young? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I and mean, people from 30 to 60 are, uh, you know, saying, um, who's Joe Rogan? Uh, <laughs> and people over 60 are saying, what's Spotify? <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's just like, how, what kind of effective action does one take in the face of all this? So, you know, Kathleen Parker's, column was about that today and i thought made some of the points that i agree with that it's a counter card counterculture thing that that meme totally represents it just you know it's sort of like what ha- what's happening with um whoopi goldberg too it's like it's oh. painful how do people talk about their beliefs or their misbeliefs and and makes come to some sort of useful conclusion rather True. Than, you know that's uh, the thing that that bothers me because when I see one of those things happen I think if if somebody had just used the right words to begin with right uh, no. and, and the, yeah, the point that Whoopi Goldberg was trying to make was that the racism being practiced during the Holocaust wasn't about skin color Right, and if she, she if she does, an anti-Semitic comment by any means. No, or yeah. or or dismissing that the Holocaust took place, or how horrible it was, or that it was racism. She was simply trying to differentiate between the racism of of that event and the racism in the U.S. based on skin color. Yeah, yeah I mean, but there was a statement by the Nazis that said that Jewish people were not human beings. Or, or not. Yeah, they I mean, were that was, a that was cool a race, something that, like that. That, that people yeah. made, but, but as I say, Whoopi was not, was not making, making an anti-Semitic comment or just, just like, dismissing mean, the Holocaust in any way. It, I, was, I was surprised by the reaction that she got to that. Dude, I, I mean, um, uh, the... The whole, I mean, Americans, we are so screwed up on our <laughs> definitions of race. What is yes. race, you know? Um, yeah. That race, is, like, I think a lot of people would contend that race is a social construct, uh, that there is no such thing. Some people would say there is no such thing as different races, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and that that's hot when somebody tries to talk about that kind of stuff. Like we don't know how we still don't know how to talk about that either. I, I felt. I mean, I'm not trying to defend her because I guess if I defend her, that makes me look like some kind of 
an uneducated person myself, but she was trying to make a point that uh, about American racism, right, right, that yeah. calls for further conversation. And I feel bad that she's getting that she got suspended. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, and she, here she is calling for further conversation, and she gets silenced. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I mean, this is where we're at. It's so hard to talk to each other. Yeah, that, that's that's not a way to solve issues, I don't think. You know, and and I'm I'm just not. Um, I I just don't really support Neil uh, Neil Young's decision to take his music down. You know that's Neither. that's how he presents to the world, right? And and to me, that's a withdrawal. I know. It it just doesn't. It's not smart. Yeah, I don't think it's smart. Yeah, but 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 see, just like I don't look to Rogan for medical advice, I don't look to Neil Young for smart. You know the traditional. You know, I look view- to him for music. Yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah. The, the traditional view of, of of the First Amendment or freedom of speech is that the solution to freedom of speech issues is more freedom of speech. Exactly, exactly. And yeah. not less. And <clears throat> in, um, it's not that some of the expressions of freedom of speech that we're being exposed to these days aren't terrible and awful, but to stop with our own freedom of speech doesn't seem logical to me. And uh, I don't know. I mean, all four of us are, you know, big freedom of speech advocates, I think. I'm always going to be on this side of, I think, freedom of speech, but... So am I. But I, I wonder how, how we cope with freedom of speech that we all find horrible. I mean, or that is destructive, that's tearing the country apart. How do we cope with things that, you know, and I'm speaking for myself, Henry, that Trump says that I think are absolutely outrageously inappropriate in this country, and uh, I want him to stop. I want him to stop doing stuff like that. But what do we do? I mean, do we, is it, I'm using that as an extreme example, I guess. But Well, it, let me let me squeeze in this next quote, because uh, that, that may have been the perfect segue. Uh, another quote that got my attention this week is this one. If I run and if I win, we will treat those people from January 6th fairly. We will treat them fairly, oh. and if it requires pardons, we will give them pardons because they are being treated so unfairly. That's Trump's rally in Texas. It's a Texas, I believe. Yep. Yeah, yeah I think that was a risky petition. Oh, yeah. <laughs> For, former President Donald Trump on Saturday teased a 2024 presidential candidacy and said he would consider pardoning those who were charged in connection with the deadly January 6th, 2021 attack on the U.S. Capitol if he wins the White House again. Which is more surprising, suggesting possible pardons for January 6th Capitol rioters or Donald Trump admitting that if he runs for POTUS in 2024, there's a chance he won't win? <laughs> yeah, maybe the, maybe the second is a more surprising thing, I suppose. Yeah, if I Give run and if I win, Eagle. that's just so not Trump. You yeah. Know? yeah. I, I, I just, I, I was more horrified by his call for incitement if he gets indicted. I mean, you know, yeah. in, that same, in that same comments, he said, you know, if, if anybody does anything wrong, implying if he gets indicted, he wants everybody to come out and, you know, 
riot again yeah. in all the major cities of America. Like, but but I, I guess you were making a different point that is an interesting one, Tom, about you're saying he's suggesting that he might not win because he said if. He said if I run and if I win. Uh, yeah. And that's just so not Donald Trump. Yeah, that's true, yeah. It's, it's, given his yeah. ego, he would, he would assume that he was going to win, probably. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, and I, but, the other but, thing but, I was going to ask you about, Henry, on that score, <clears throat> is why, again, are Republicans not um, fighting back against those comments from the Texas <clears throat> Susan Collins. Republicans are behaving just like all Americans do. All people do. But Susan, they Susan want, Collins. They don't have a dog in every fight. And sometimes it's not their fight. Did you, uh, did you see have, the, the quote from uh, Susan Collins with uh, CNN where um, they pressed her about whether or not she would support Donald Trump for a 2024 run. Mm. I saw that. Yeah. She she voted to impeach him for his involvement in the January 6th insurrection um, for possibly inciting that. And she would not commit to not supporting him in a uh, nominating process in 2024 and i don't understand that because she is not a person who you know is any danger uh, from not supporting donald trump yeah i don't understand it well you know there was a line i used to use when i talked about how people support parties and this applies to both parties here is that i used to say that if, if, if a major party uh, nominated Godzilla or Mickey Mouse for president, that Godzilla or Mickey would lose the election, but each one would get about 38% of the vote. And I say that <laughs> because you said you would look at the worst losers of major parties, uh, you know, Barry Goldwater and George McGovern and others in earlier years, and, you know, they, they lost, but they got around 38%. So there's about a little over a third of the public that will vote for their party's nominee come hell or high water, whether it's, like say, Mickey Mouse or Godzilla or Donald Trump or anybody else. So maybe that's where that support's coming from. And in the primaries, that's what you're supposed to do. And that's, that's the only option you have. You have to vote for the person at the top of the ticket. So do you have the sense, Henry, that there are, that Republicans are among yourselves saying, we got to make sure, we have to respond to this dude and we have to make sure that this guy doesn't get in the Oval Office again. I mean, are, are, there, are there Republicans that are trying to do something? I mean, Yeah, there, there are Republicans. I'm not one of those. But I'm going to let the, let the people shake it out for themselves. I, I, think I, Mark I, Byron, I, I, I don't want um, impre- to don't want other people to get the impression that I and shifty. I want to be always steady. I want to take my time and evaluate things and for both yeah. good for myself, for the party, and for the country. And uh, following politics uh, just gives me a headache. I can so, imagine. Um, <laughs> I try to, if I don't have a dog in the fight, I don't. I, so, have, I and, have to limit yeah. my exposure to um, news programming. 
these days. I, I, I have designated times when I do deep dives on the news for the purpose of putting together these notes for today's show and other research that I do for guests and so on. But the rest of the time, you know, I'm, I'm binge watching the Marx Brothers. I, you know, I, <laughs> <laughs> that's probably wise. <laughs> hey, before we get too These far days, behind, yeah. I want st- to, I, I, I want to move uh, a little closer to home here and um, get started on some of the local, state, national headlines. Uh, state Representative John Cherry, Democrat from Flint, has made his run for the newly drawn Michigan State Senate District 27 seat official announcing his candidacy this past Friday. M Live the Flint Journal reported last week and we talked about it that Cherry had positioned himself to run for the Senate seat, being vacated by Jim Ananick, who cannot seek re-election because of term limits. Cherry's campaign released a statement from Ananick Friday in which he described his potential successor as a tried and tested leader in the legislature who will never back down from advocating for us. Ananick's current Senate district remained largely intact following last year's redistricting, but shifted slightly to the south and west. And before I ask the, uh, the, the question I have, I wanted to mention that last week I said I was going to be talking with John Cherry the next day. I was looking at the wrong page in my calendar. It's actually tomorrow that I'm interviewing John Cherry, and it will probably air on Friday. Uh-huh. Um, but but is this a slam dunk for Cherry? Uh, it's not going to be that difficult because Cherry is well-known. Yeah, I think, well known. Yeah, I, I think given um, the district, it's, this is... It's about yeah. as secure as we're going to get these days, I would think. I mean, I you never oh. know, but I think so. He's well supported. Yeah, he's got a great foundation that he stands on. Yeah, he's liked by both Democrats and Republicans. Yeah, he, he he's he's been very good at his job, I think. Um, yeah, I was just looking at that article here at City of Flint, Flint Township, Mount Morris, Mount Morris Township, Grand Blank, Grand Blank Township. Flushing, Mundy Township, Clayton Township. I mean, that's a city of Swartz Creek. Um, I would think he should be able to convince the people in all of those places. Well, that's that cherry country. Yeah. It you is. know, his that's dad true. held yeah, both of those country. positions, the state house seat, the state senate seat, and then went on to become lieutenant governor. His his mother held the state representative yeah, seat a, that he's well, been. Well, the family is well placed in yeah. that district. Yeah. Yeah, and and you were state representative uh, here in Kyle. Now, just to stir the pot a little bit, what do you think would have happened if there'd been a runoff in the in the new state house district between uh, Cynthia Neely and John Cherry? Mm, that that, could <laughs> oh, that be, would have been disaster. that would be a dicey one. That that could be a, yeah. yeah yeah yeah. We split up the Democrats over there. That was and that was clearly a lose lose matchup. Right. right. So what is Ananick going to do? Has he announced? Uh, he hasn't announced anything. Has anybody anything. heard rumors? I mean, and I, I don't want to start a rumor because I have no basis for this, but there's been a rumor I've, I've heard off and on for a while. He's thinking about running for mayor of Flint. Again, I, I have no I basis that for that at all. I but, heard that. Uh, but people have said that to me. That, said, oh. what, that what? That, that he's been thinking about running for mayor of Flint? Again, I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not saying that based upon any facts that I know. Well, I'll so. tell you, let's let's get into that and consider that a little bit because uh, 
that's uh, what I have up next on the uh, script here. But um, we have to take a break here, and we'll come back and talk about the race for mayor of Flint on Armchair Politics right Hello after there, this. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not, is a major factor in dancing like a retard, may cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them, also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people, and it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. 
alcohol may cause pregnancy, and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! From the Tom Sumner Show. Oh, yeah. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back to uh, Armchair Politics, continuing on uh, today's Groundhog Day edition of the uh, Tom Sumner program with our roundtable regulars Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter joined by Jan Worth Nelson. City residents who want to run for mayor of Flint can start the process effective immediately. Nominating petitions for this year's mayoral election are available in the city clerk's office and can be picked up from 9 a.m. until 4 p.m. Monday through Friday according to a news release from the city. The clerk's office is located inside City Hall on Saginaw Street in downtown Flint. Candidates for mayor are required to have been a registered voter in the city one year prior to the filing deadline of April 19th and must continue to live in Flint until the end of their four-year term if elected. The city's revised charter, which went into effect January 1, 2018, says nominating petition for candidates must be signed by at least 600 registered Flint voters for candidates to secure a spot on the ballot. The mayoral primary election will be held August 2nd, and the top two vote-getters in that contest will compete in the general election on November 8th. Um, just before the break, we were talking a little bit about uh, any any speculation about Jim Ananick, uh, the the current uh, minority leader of the state senate, who's term limited out of that seat. Um, whether or not he would consider a run for candidate, but do you think this race will attract a lot of candidates? And and who do you expect to see on the August primary ballot? Well, obviously, Neely is one. Neely is very well respected. He has the voice of the governor and a lot of that leadership because he was considered for nomination for the vice governor. And uh, he has a lot of support in Washington. He has a lot of support in in Detroit. So, but Jim Ananick is one of those names that rank well in the city of Flint. And it does not conjure up division based on race. Right. So uh, I think I saw, I saw a video from Art Woodson last night on, on I think it's on YouTube, apparently boosting the the Ananik candidacy. But again, I, I don't know for a fact whether Ananik is interested or not. I've not heard anything from him directly. Um, yeah, and and, and and see, and had this been a Republican, the, the, uh, that would conjure up race. But this one, we should be now in the city of Flint well beyond that and position to run an election uh, between these two candidates of uh, different cultures without the racial issue being uh, thrown out. What, I mean, what about Karen Weaver? Would she go again, you think? No, I don't uh, think so. I, I You know, think I think I'd be surprised. Yeah. I think I'd be surprised. Um, what about the, uh, the status of, of current city council people? Um, do they have to give up their seat now to run for mayor? If they win, they have to. I think uh, so. No, I mean to, to run. I, oh. 
I don't remember sure. how that happened. That's a good question. I'm it used it used to be that they could hang on to their seat. I have a hunch that's still true. Although I, I, I we need to check the charter to be sure about that. I don't know. I don't know. Who's our charter expert around here? It seems like it's you, Tom. <laughs> just just well, because I have the audio version doesn't mean I have it committed to memory. But, same uh, here, exactly. Yeah, I, I I don't know, but my guess is you probably could run because I think uh, Maurice Davis had said at one point he wanted to run. Whether that was just an off the wall statement or not, I don't know. Well, the reason that I that I raised the question is um, if, if I suspect there will be several candidates. A.C. Dumas, possibly, um, Eric Mays, possibly. Yeah, but these are three. They have been on there forever, so you you could you should add them first. Those are some of the usual. Those are some of yeah. the usual suspects. Even even Art <laughs> Woodson, for yeah, yeah, that matter. Um, but Art Woodson ran the last time, didn't he? Tried to run for mayor. I think he ran in the special against uh, Karen Weaver. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Uh huh. Do you remember the president of the council uh, just before uh, Lily won? No, before Weaver won. What was the name of the president of the council? He moved up north. I got Kincaid, Scott Kincaid. Yeah, Kincaid. Now yeah. Kincaid ran for the. Sure. Uh, the yeah, he ran against the Woodrow. And I think he retained his position because. Right? He retained that position because he didn't win. Hmm. Oh. I don't know. Well, we could... But then... The old, but then but the old charter in any case, yeah. But he yeah. got... Yes. But his candidacy got challenged when he tried to run for mayor and re-election at the same time. That's right. Yes, it did. During right. the... the yeah, and, and I think and that, that was, was the special decision. election. Yeah. It was Karen Weaver. Because this is an unusual election, because in the future we're going to have the council races and the mayor's race all in the same year. So it's yeah. a little unusual to have the mayor's race all by itself this year. Yeah, that won't be an issue going forward. Yeah. You know, it was refreshing when Weaver ran against Neely that we didn't have the racial <laughs> tension in the candidacies. Yeah. I, I thought that made certain in this city... The way things go, it was kind of a relief that both candidates were African American. I, I, that might seem like a weird thing to say, but I, th it was but a relief. It's to know this. You're right. It was uh, it, it's significant, and we kind of grew up a little bit. And and I believe that uh, Edenick uh, will fit in that spectrum. I don't think that he's as yeah. As it would be. I I would be surprised to see race become an issue in a campaign between Sheldon Neely and Jim Hannanick. I would I think it would be hard to make the point. I uh, think so that, too. I mean I mean uh Annanick was really fantastic in my view during the water crisis. His his way of standing up for the with yeah. standing with the water warriors, his outrage about things that were happening, I thought right. was quite uh, admirable and and I think helpful to the community. Uh, Even I couldn't find any way to criticize that in either, but, uh, I mean, because he really stood up for the people in the city of Flint. It was crazy. Yeah. I really appreciated his outrage, and 
you know, it didn't go over the line to useless outrage. It was always specifically and accurately directed, I thought. Uh, so, but but I think the the larger point you're trying to make, Tom, is that if he runs against Neely, that race wouldn't automatically become an issue between the two of them, right? That's what you're it, trying to I say. I think it would. I think it would be hard to make that case. And that's my claim too, coming from a Republican perspective. That's my claim. Well, let me let me see if we can squeeze one more in before the top of the hour. Uh, okay. Michigan. Michigan Republican lawmakers want to exempt all diapers from the state's 6% sales and use taxes. The move comes months after a successful bipartisan effort to nix the so-called tampon tax on pads, tampons, and other (laughs) feminine hygiene products. About one in three U.S. families struggled to afford diapers before the pandemic, according to the National Diaper Bank Network, a nonprofit network of diaper banks founded in part with funding from Huggies. Last year, the uh, Metropolitan Detroit Diaper Bank passed out more than a million diapers. Given the financial stress caused by the pandemic, diaper banks across the nation are handing out 86% more supplies than they did on average previously, said Philip mm. Vanderclay, Director of Policy and Government Relations for the Diaper Bank Network. What is it they say about diapers and politicians? <laughs> <laughs> There's another quote for your book. <laughs> they, should, they should both be changed often and for the right. same reason. <laughs> often and what? They should both be changed often and for the same reason. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, after thinking about that, that proposal to reduce, uh, to get them from taxes, I think that that's a good idea. Because it helps to remove waste uh, in the environment that causes diseases. And when it does that, it helps all of us collectively. You don't see those um, dirty diapers and things uh, up and down the road. They're easy to dispose of, and people do generally do a good job in disposing of them. And, and I'm I not think gonna... it helps the society. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that, too. I'm not going to say anything against it. I just want to bitch a little bit, if you'll pardon my language, about, if okay, if we're going to do some things to help families with babies, is it just only about diapers, or could we just please go back to Build Back Better and do some change yeah, for, for babies and mothers and, you know, and fathers? I, uh, I, I okay. Yeah, yeah I one agree with Janet. Yeah, I'm a little cynical about you know we got these these big nice headlines. Although we're against the tampon tax and the diaper tax and all that, but as I say, each of these specific bills makes a nice headline. But in a material sense, how much difference does it really make either for the people who are saving the tax? Yeah, that's six percent you're saving, I guess. I guess. Yeah, let's let's do some about yeah. childcare. Let's do yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. Come on, I mean I'm for it, I, and I I really appreciate Henry's. Uh, support uh, points about it, about environmental <coughs> effects. Absolutely. But come on, let's think in bigger terms here. Yeah, roll, and roll it into food, clothing, and shelter. Yeah. yeah but guys, 65%, I just read, of diseases are caused by uh, bad hygiene, bad practices in the environment. 65% of them. Wow, yeah, yeah. Yeah, huh. and, and, it, and it, it, just think of all of the diapers that are used. Yeah. Hospitals and uh, and homes and by individuals. 
and people who live uh, in isolation from society, where they deposit oh. the spreading germ potential throughout the environment. Well, we've got a break here for the top of the hour, but we'll be back in uh, in just a minute or two with the second half of today's edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Jan Worth Nelson. Hi, I'm Alexander Zonjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner.